0: I think we're all here. Well, I may not be all here, but. You know what I'm trying to disguise myself as today? One of those azaleas. My wife shakes her head yeah, you're way too big. It's a wonderful day. He's risen, He is risen indeed. You know, I can get Henri sometime. I thought about actually doing this, but you—you you folks already know me too well. Years and years ago, when I got started with the Henri thing, you know. The sunrise service was at six thirty in the morning, and for whatever reason, that church, that crazy church that I pastored out there, they. They were, I don't use that word lightly. They had a bigger crowd at 630 than they did later, later on at uh, 1030. All right. They, they had like 300 and yada yada at, at, for the sunrise. So I go, I see an Opportunity. And so we got there, and I said, I said to, and there'd be big program planned, and choirs, choirs and choirs and whatever, you know. They, they, really, they really knocked themselves out for this sunrise service. I said, now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take all the flowers off the stage. You just have to sort of imagine this. You know, Sandy running around and telling people, here, you take this flower, you take that flower, and it was bare. And, and, and the cross, and that was it. No decorations. And so right at 630 I walk out on a platform and I said well you know folks, uh, th- these unfortunate situations do happen. Really unfortunate. In fact it's tragic. Someone we, ha- we dearly love has died and because of that we're canceling the service. And it's some, you know, and, and and some lady halfway back said, "Well, did 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 uh, Lester Brubaker die?" You know, he was on the sick list. You know, I go, "Oh no, no, Lester is very much alive. No, 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 it wasn't him. Wasn't him." But because of because of the death, we've decided not to do the service. And then I had a guy come running in the, the, the door saying. No, no, he's risen, just as he said. <laughs> and then everybody, they brought out all the flowers and everything, you know, and we celebrated. But they thought, they thought I, for sure I was going to cancel it, you know. <laughs> yeah, fat chance. Well, so it is a special day. In fact, I don't know of any Sunday that's more attuned to the gospel and this day, it says, "Yeah, you know, Paul talks about, uh, yeah, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, then we're just going through the motions, and it's not really worth anything, and there's no truth in it. If he's not, if there's no truth in the resurrection, then there's no truth in any of it. And we have assurance." of our salvation, of forgiveness, of a right relationship with the Heavenly Father because of what happened on the day that Jesus came out of that tomb alive. And he, he is here with us to watch over the covenant that he purchased with his own shed blood. And uh, it's a big mistake not to praise God. And you may say, well, you know, Pastor, I usually don't sing because my voice is so terrible. (laughs) You ought to just be ashamed of yourself. I don't care how many different keys you sing in and how many wrong notes you hit. You need to praise God. And that's what we're here for praise God and to worship him and to say thank you Lord Father in heaven thank you that that tomb is empty and uh, yeah the glory of God is all over that Uh, it is the glory of God. God all of his goodness what is the glory of God remember that one all of his goodness and the fact that he's a tender hearted merciful, gracious, forgiving God. That's his glory. And it shines out and it shines to us every day. And the sunshine coming in these windows. Yeah, that's part of the glory of God today. Glad you're here. I'm delighted to be here. I hope you feel that way too. And there's, there's some people just like this lady up here in pink that just looks like, just looks like the day. I told her that in person. <laughs> oh, what a joy. What a joy. All right. Um, announcements that need to happen this morning. Uh, anybody have announcements that Mike?
1: No, now, okay. Uh, We will have our congregational meeting next Sunday right after worship. We're going to approve our budget. We're going to uh, bring you up to date on what's happening with uh, the school uh, that is looking at using our facilities to run their school. Uh, Pastor Ryan will be doing that. And uh, then we can have some conversation if anybody has anything that they need to say or uh, discuss, we can do that at that time. And there's a few other things we'll bring up at the congregational meeting. But the big thing is, uh, two things, the budget, which is, of course, here we are in April. Uh, and there are
0: which, a bunch of them in the mailbox back there. Yeah,
1: yeah. you find your <clears throat> copy of budget in the mailbox. So take it along, you can look it over this week. And then if you have any questions, you can bring them up at the meeting. And then number two is uh, an update on the school situation.
0: There is a background, what, three sheets, gives a background from some news articles out on the uh, table in the lobby. Uh, so if you really want to, you know, you can go online and find the same stuff online. That's where this comes from. Uh, but anyway, sort of gets you understanding what's going on and how it, how it connects. to. This doesn't say anything about us, but it says about the group that we're trying to relate to. Yeah.
1: And Mel's, Mel and uh, Joe are going to have a spring cleanup day next Saturday, right, Joe? Or late? This, coming. this coming Saturday. Yes. Yeah.
0: 8 a.m. That's eight in the bulletin.
1: 8 a.m. It's in the bulletin. Yeah. So bring your grubbies. I think that's all I have.
0: All right. Any other announcements? I'm not used to doing this part. You need. We we are podcasting, or trying to podcast, or try to get the bugs worked out of it, and then we'll let everybody know how to get the podcast.
1: Thank you, everyone who purchased the flowers that were before us, we Thank you who the that were before us in the front of the sanctuary, <clears throat> and your names are on the label or on the. Pot cover that you may take home after worship. All right.
0: Thank you, Nancy. Morning, Karen. I'll shake your hand first.
1: Mary and I moved in our retirement home over Palm on Tuesday,
0: and we're getting adjusted to the new building. And on May 28th, we're going to have our home up for a public auction. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. I think we are ready to begin our service. Let's our opening hymn is number 2:17. Christ the Lord is risen today. everyone join in. Please remain standing for the responsive and the opening prayer. that I would boast except in the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ, which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters in Christ that we can gather with. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have to worship. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us uh, a word through a brother uh, designated to preach. Lord, all these things, we, we see it's a pattern for good. Lord, you are the one that works a pattern for good in the world. And so we're here to worship you and honor and bless your name. And especially say, Lord, thank you for your life, for resurrection life, for eternal life, for life forever with you in heaven. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless every heart. Bless everyone. And Father, not only here, but throughout the whole earth, wherever the resurrection is celebrated, may there be a special blessing today of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, two, three, four, five people, you shake their hands and be nice to them. Don't say anything nasty. Yes, um... It's on, it's on. Helen had asked,
1: you know, for some special prayer for Grant. We have them on the prayer guide all the time. But Grant, it's... Right now, it's a tough time for both of them.
0: They're (laughs) going to have some big decisions yet, and they're at that farm and really shouldn't be. (laughs) It's it's coming to that, and Grant is getting weaker. She's just praying for strength in his legs, that he can walk better. I mean, he keeps falling different times, and they're just having a hard time. So it's like a special prayer for them.
1: Well, I'm so glad to be back here again today, and I see all my old friends.
0: Thank you. Thank, you.
1: Thank, you. Thank you for all your prayers and cards, and I'm just so happy today to be back. <laughs> Lord bless me, this old lady. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Amen.
2: Yeah, great to have her here. Oh <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, you know, blessings come in all shapes. But the prison warden let her out today. That's probably how you feel. <laughs> uh, yeah, you wait till you get there. You know. Any uh, anybody else have? Okay. While I'm walking back here, we uh, Sue in the office and I have been talking about redoing our prayer guide a little bit to let things that are new somehow stand out. So don't be surprised if some, some things get adjusted in the next month or so.
1: My sister's not here today, but her baby grandson, it looks like he's not just going to have the surgery which has to do with his belly button. Um, he also has a problem. His head is not shaped right, and they think they're going to have to, when he's four-month-old, break the bones in his skull and then skull to, reset oh, to, them. To let it open yeah. up. Yeah, so um, I guess so that his brain then can continue to grow. Right. Um, so just keep wailing in your prayers.
0: Yeah, all right. Thank you. Others back here?
1: Good morning. Um, a friend of mine that I went to school with, her daughter is two years old. Her name is Ariella. She actually has a um, cancer in her eye, behind her eye, and they had removed her eye to stop the cancer from spreading. And now the insurance is saying that it is a um, cosmetic to get the artificial eye. So it's keeping keep prayers so that the family can actually raise enough money to pay for the eye because it's, it's not cosmetic. It's, she's only two years old. It's not like she... Asked for this or anything yeah. like that. But um, as far as I know, the cancer um, has not spread to her other eye or to anywhere else, but they're trying to keep a close eye to it so that, make sure it's not.
0: Yeah, make sure. Right. Yeah, all right. Anyone else? Prayer needs or praises? Anything, brother? Okay. Let's. uh, Yeah. So, how do you focus your heart, friends? Do that to the best of your ability. And quiet your heart and try to put out. Your self-ideas and come before the Lord and and seek his face and especially on behalf of others. Be an intercessor praying for others during this time. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, Uh, just how wonderful you are. Our human brain wants to make you smaller. That's the human brain thing make you smaller than you are. And even times when we make you so small and we don't see how great your power is, and because we make you so small, we, we end up in doubt and unbelief, every single one of us at one time or another, and sometimes too often, Lord. Forgive us for our doubt and unbelief. And Father, we we invite you by your Holy Spirit, raise up in us a spirit of believing like never before. A spirit that grabs hold of the things of God and says, I see this in the Word, I believe it. Transformative things wonderful wonderful grace of jesus and as we go on lord day by day we we learn we learn to some extent we learn and you teach us by your by your holy spirit what is of god what is the spirit within us and what is the old nature the new nature and the old nature And, Father, that you would lead us along, you lead us. Like Fanny Crosby's song, he led me all the way. Lord, that you would lead us all the way and that the things of the Spirit and of the Holy Spirit, that those things would dominate and the things of the old nature, And we just yield that to the cross. Teach us how to yield that to the cross, to be crucified with Christ, dead with him. And Lord, to the extent that we do that, that we would not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And Lord, day by day, you got a training program for everyone that believes. And some are further... Further down the, the line, some are just starting out. But Lord, the graciousness with which you deal with our hearts, Lord, we, we rejoice in that this morning. If, if it were not for that, we would be sunk. There, would, there really would be no hope. Despair and despondency would prevail. But Lord, and Lord, this time of year, what a, what a joy to see it. You paint the picture out in nature, what you want to do in our hearts. Little things springing forth with new life. New leaves springing out with flowers and with the singing of birds. May there be a singing of birds in our heart. And may we, may we not get weary in well-doing. As sometimes that's easy to do too. Father, we thank you for being the healer. We pray on behalf of this one that regarding um, the eye and Lord, that you would put a uh, a hand of protection and of healing and of miracles upon that one, and also the one regarding, regarding the skull and, and the navel. Lord, that you would work through every situation and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and bring the things of heaven into this earth. Lord, we we can miss the mark and we can miss your purposes, but we can say, God, we want your will. We want your will to be done. So we ask for healing. We believe in that, Father. And Father, this morning, um, giving giving a sense of uh, freshness to a, a fellowship we have, And, Lord, uh, that you are working in us and through us. And there's this this thing of of a school that needs a place. And some may not uh, uh, like that idea. And some may think, well, that's a good idea. But, Lord, what we want, we do want you to lead us. And we want to, Father, we want to, if it is an opportunity, help us to discern And if it's an opportunity that you have set before us, help us not miss the opportunity if indeed that's what it is. So we pray and help us to remember to pray about this school and pray about what it might mean. In some ways, it uh, takes people smarter than any of us. But Lord, together, we have the mind of Christ. If If we believe in that and we trust in you, Lord, you can lead us forward as a congregation. And Lord, uh, that we there would continue, oh, Father in heaven, on this very special day, we pray that you would continue to bring forth a testimony of God from this place and this location for years to come and generations to come. And Lord, whatever whatever, whatever form that takes, may we be responsive to your working. As we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for this congregation and what it means to every single one of us as we join heart and heart and faith with faith and prayer with prayer. And the singing of praises with the singing of praises in it. Lord, you're worthy of it all. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: All right. Time for the offering. He is risen. You know, they say that Easter is... One of the highest days of attendance for the church, so what I'm hoping is that next week, every single one of you is back in this (laughs) room. I'm happy to have my family here, Kayla's parents, grandmother, my brother-in-law Jesse, and um, my uh, wife's sister, Ashley, she's in the nursery, I think, yeah, so I'm happy to have them here today. Let's pray before we begin Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for uh, sustaining us through the night. The air in our lungs, the beating of our heart, Lord. Uh, we're here to praise you and honor you on this special day. Open our hearts and minds as we approach your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the, um, the empty tomb, uh, what I'm speaking on today, John 20, uh, verses one through 8 We're going to stay in the Gospel of John. We've been working through there all year long. So we're going to stay in John 20. Again, the empty tomb, the linchpin of our faith. I think Sandy kind of touched on that uh, this morning. And to quote one of my favorite pastors, Alistair Begg, who is a Scottish pastor, he said... <laughs> you know him. Yeah, great. Yeah, he's a great pastor. He said, the Christian faith engages our minds... It is what we know that encourages us as we traverse through this lifetime. And in some ways, our contemporary culture, um, we view skepticism as being more enlightened. You know, that is, persons who doubt some things are sometimes perceived as being smarter than persons who believe those things. And Ludwig Wittgenstein, the Austrian philosopher, pointed out that doubt stands in no less need of justification than does belief. In other words, if you're going to be skeptical of something, you need to justify your doubts with facts or else you're just being irrational. And so as I was preparing today, I was sharing some of these thoughts with Kayla, and you know, I explained to her that at times, at least it seems to me, that we can easily overlook and miss the historical facts that surround God's Word. You know, many of us have grown up with God's Word. We've listened to Christian radio, we do Bible studies, we talk about how we can become better Christians, and we overlook the facts that surround our faith, and I think Kayla really encapsulated my thought, and she said, yeah, I know what you mean. We look at God's Word as being merely inspirational, and I think she's right. And so bearing that thought in mind, I will be speaking this morning about the facts surrounding The empty tomb. And my hope is that each of you leaves here this morning with a greater confidence that our faith is not merely inspirational, but it is also historically verifiable. And some persons doubt the accuracy of God's Word. They suggest that God's Word is simply an invention of the church that was invented sometime in the Middle Ages, roughly a thousand years after Jesus had lived These events did not really occur, they say. Rather, they're just legends and myths created many centuries after Jesus meant to inspire us. However, historical research reveals something very different. Cornelius Tacitus, regarded as the greatest historian who ever lived, he began writing 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus and writing about the reign of the Roman emperor Nero Tacitus spoke of Christians in this way. The persons commonly called Christians, who were hated for their enormities, Christus, that's Latin for Christ, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea where the mischief originated but through the city of Rome also. Around the same time that Tacitus was writing, Lucian of Samosta, who was a Greek playwright, wrote the following. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personages who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they are immortal for all time which explains the contempt of death, that is a lack of fear of death, and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver, that would be Jesus, that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted. And they deny the gods of Greece and worship this crucified sage and live after His laws. These men wrote these things merely decades after Jesus lived. Our faith is not merely inspirational. It is rooted in historical fact. And so the disciples had just witnessed the violent death of their leader. They abandoned him when he was arrested. And then they remained behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. But on the first day of the week, they learned that his tomb was now empty. And so what would cause these men who ran away in fear when Jesus was arrested to now give their lives for the sake of his gospel? And We know, that, we know from history that all but one of Jesus' disciples died a violent death. And is it likely that these men and tens of thousands more would die for something that they knew did not happen? If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Sandy, you said that this morning. I had that written as well. For Christians, the resurrection of Jesus constitutes the foundation of our faith. Apart from the resurrection, there is no gospel. There is no good news. For apart from Easter, there is no hope. But as witnessed to by the first disciples, there is only despair. And yet the resurrection turned fearful and despondent men into men of courage and confidence. Men who believed that the empty tomb not only verified all that Jesus had said and taught, but assured them of the defeat of death and the guarantee that they would share in this great victory of their Lord. The very existence of the church witnesses to the historical fact of the resurrection. Good time to grab a drink of water. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go to verse 1 and 2. Follow along with me if you would like. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and that is John, by the way. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Mary Magdalene and others were going to the tomb of Jesus with spices and ointments to apply them to his body. And it was customary in the ancient world to mourn at the tomb of a deceased person during the first three days after they died. And while they were going to the tomb, we know from the other Gospels that Mary Magdalene and the other women were asking themselves, how are we going to remove this stone so that we can enter the tomb? And I mentioned before to you that when we're reading Scripture, it's easy to think that the only characters in a scene are the people involved. And and that's certainly true in some instances. And in other instances, certain objects play a large role in the scene. And in this scene, there's a very large stone that plays a very big role. And I want to focus on it for a few minutes this morning. Now, burial practices were slightly different in the ancient world. Persons of no means were typically buried in ossuary boxes. And an ossuary box is not dissimilar from a coffin. It is just simply smaller. So persons of no means would be buried in these ossuary boxes. Persons of means would typically be buried in a stone tomb that was hewn out of rock. And I I know that we have a rich history of stonemasons in this congregation, and perhaps sometime you can tell us just how difficult that must have been without power tools. Basically, they would find a big rock, and they would carve a hole in this rock, and then inside of the hole, they would carve a bench so that the deceased person's body could lay upon it. And you, as you can imagine, they were very expensive. And because they were expensive, only persons of means would use them. And in addition to that, people were often buried with valuable items. And so these tombs, as you can imagine, were targeted by thieves. Grave robbing was a big problem in the ancient world. Emperor Claudius ordered capital punishment for anyone who destroyed a tomb, removed a body, or displaced a sealing stone. Ceiling stones were designed, as their name suggests, to seal a tomb in order to keep people out of the tomb and to keep the dead body in the tomb. Sealing stones were placed on an incline in front of the tomb and they were wedged with another stone to keep it from rolling down the incline and then closing the tomb before the body was laid inside. And so after finishing the burial, they would remove this wedge stone and then they would push the ceiling stone down this incline and let it roll into place in front of the entrance of the tomb. Actually, they were quite skilled. They would actually uh, create a track that the ceiling stone would slide down this incline so that it wouldn't roll away. Now, how big was a ceiling stone? Well, they were very large in the ancient world. It was certainly big enough that many men were needed to roll the stone into place an interesting piece of biblical history on the actual size of the stone is found in Codex Bizai. And Codex Bizai is, is a very early manuscript of the Gospels. Books were hard to come by in the ancient world. And so what would happen is they would write down one of the Gospels, and then they would share it amongst other congregations, and then they would copy the Gospel so that they could also preserve it and preach it in their congregation or city. And sometimes the person copying the manuscript would add a note in the margin. Has anybody ever done that? Has anybody added a note in the margin of their Bible? It was really the first commentary. The first biblical commentary was coming through. And in the Gospel of Luke, in Codex Bizai, there's a margin in the note that says, the stone was so large that 20 men could not move it. That note was written just, a few decades after Jesus had died and rose. Now we know from the Gospel of Matthew that the Pharisees were afraid the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus. So they asked Pilate to seal the tomb and to guard it with soldiers. And when the Romans sealed a tomb, they would roll the sealing stone into place and then tie cords across the stone. You can picture an X. They were fastened to the tomb using a clay compound that would harden. Additionally, the Romans would use wax where the two cords intersected in the middle of the stone. They would stamp the royal seal of the emperor, indicating that if any person tampers with this tomb, they're going to be executed. These were measures taken by the Romans so that if anyone tried to tamper with the tomb they would have evidence that it was tampered with and then they would go execute that person. But the real security measure came by way of the actual soldiers. Now how many soldiers were dispatched to guard the tomb? Based upon historical evidence, we think that there were as many as 30 guards protecting the tomb of Jesus. Now if you know anything about history, you know that Roman soldiers were not your average Barney Fife deputies. Okay? Okay the Roman army was one of the most ruthless armies the world has ever seen. Discipline and fear were the means that they used to create their war machine. Roman soldiers were fiercely loyal to Rome and fiercely cruel to those who were not. Discipline in a Roman barracks was swift and severe. Fear of punishment produced exquisite attention to detail and to duty, especially during night watches. The punishment for quitting a post in the Roman army was death. Failing to properly execute a night watch in the Roman army was punished by death. Stealing of any kind in the Roman army was punished by death. False witnessing in the Roman army, punished by death. Injuring one's own body in the Roman army, punished by death. Desertion, punished by death. Losing one's weapons, punished By death. Insubordination of any kind punished by death. This was a serious group of men. Roman soldiers were trained to guard six feet of ground. Their strength was in their coordination and commitment to one another. They were armed with a helmet, shoulder plates, body armor, a shield, a javelin, a dagger on their leg, and a sword on the other hip. During night watches, at least four guards were standing at attention at all times. And the other guards would form a semi-circle in front of the guards who were standing at attention with their heads facing in. So you can picture four guards standing in front of the tomb and 26 more fanned out in front of the guards who were standing at attention. The guards who were laying on the ground were able to rest until a shift change would occur. Shifts were not long in order to maintain vigilance. And so again, picture the scene with me. We have a stone covering a tomb that was so large, 20 men could not move it. Cords were fastened to the stone and the tomb with clay so that if the stone moved, the clay would break, indicating that someone had tampered with the grave. Lastly, there was a large wax seal containing the emperor's sign that covered the cords, indicating that if the stone moved or it had been tampered with, the emperor's seal was then defaced and that person would be executed and then oh on top of that there were as many as 30 Roman soldiers and so perhaps the earliest explanation of the empty tomb comes from Matthew 27 and 28 the Jews specifically asked Pilate to guard the tomb because they remembered that Jesus prophesied that he was going to rise in three days now the Jews suspected that the disciples might Come and try to steal away the body of of Jesus, and thus Pilate provided the extra security measures. When Jesus was arrested just 36 hours earlier, all the disciples fled. Peter denied that he knew that man three times. He wasn't even willing to use Jesus' name out of fear of being persecuted, not by Roman soldiers but out of fear of being persecuted by just fellow townspeople. On the evening of Resurrection Sunday, John tells us that the disciples were hiding in a room behind locked doors, not out in the open, because they were afraid of the Jews. Now, is it likely that the same men who fled when Jesus was arrested, who denied even knowing him when fellow townspeople asked them, is it likely that they would have the courage and strength to fight off as many as 30 Roman soldiers and then roll away a stone so large that not even 20 men could move? I don't think so. The phrase that John uses in verse 1, tan lithon ermanon, the stone was removed, the stone was moved away, that's how we translate that, tu manu, from the tomb. It's loosely translated, the stone was taken away from the tomb, but the verb that John uses here, it conveys the idea that the stone was not simply rolled away. Rather, it was picked up and cast aside. That's what the verb is saying to us. The preposition from indicating separation from a source. The stone was picked up, separated from its source and cast aside. Let's go to verses 3-7. through And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter, and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And so Mary ran away in shock and came to Peter and John to tell them that someone had taken our Lord's body. Peter and John immediately ran out of the house to the tomb. John outran Peter. Simply because we know that John was younger than Peter, and you know, much like I can outrun my (laughs) father-in-law. Now John arrived at the scene, and we get a sense that John was very cautious. He says that he stooped to look in the tomb but did not enter it. And no one can blame him for being cautious. Remember, just a few hours earlier, there were 30 Roman soldiers guarding a sealed tomb with a stone so large that 20 men could not move it, covering its entrance. Now there were no soldiers. All of the seals were broken. And this sealing stone was cast aside like a pebble. I think I'd be cautious too. John looked in the tomb and he saw strips of linen lying on the bench where Jesus' body had once laid, and the burial cloth that covered Jesus' head. And Peter arrived shortly after John and he boldly rushed into the tomb and he saw the same things. And these details are very important pieces of evidence. Linen cloths that were used for burials in the ancient world were very expensive Spices that were used in burial processes were also very expensive. Thieves hoping to profit from a robbery would not have left fine linens and expensive spices behind. Someone who simply wanted to move the body of Jesus would not have taken the time to unwrap Jesus' body John says that the burial cloth was wrapped around, that was wrapped around Jesus' head was neatly placed. Again, it's hard to believe that grave robbers or even someone wanting to steal the body of Jesus would take the time to neatly place this burial cloth around His head. Remember, there were as many as 30 guards standing outside of this tomb. And crimes are often committed in haste. Maybe some of you would say, well, you know what, Ryan, I just don't know about this whole crucifixion thing. I mean, is that really a thing? Did that really happen? Because I've got to tell you, I, I just don't see that today. In June 1968, northern Jerusalem, an ossuary box was discovered. And it contained the bones of an adult male who had died by crucifixion around the year 45 A.D., just roughly 10 years after Jesus had died. Studies of this man's remains revealed that a nail was driven through each of his wrists and a single iron nail was driven through his heel bones. In fact, when they found the ossuary box, the iron nail was still embedded in his heel bones. Well, okay, Ryan. You know, here's what happened. The women went to the wrong tomb. Truly, they did. They thought they went to the tomb of Jesus but they actually went to someone else's tomb. Well, that's why there were no soldiers. The stone was laying on the ground because they were still preparing the tomb and the fine linens and spices, well, they were inside the tomb because somebody was preparing it for a burial. But according to the Gospels, some of the women did see where the body of Jesus was laid. If the women had gone to the wrong tomb then the Jews or Romans could have gone to the correct tomb and simply produced the body of Jesus. And thus stopped the story that Jesus had risen from the dead. The fact that the Jews bribed the Roman soldiers to say that the disciples of Jesus stole His body while they slept at night is evidence of the fact that they could not produce the body of Jesus. His body was not in the tomb. But you might say, okay, okay, well then here's what happened. The disciples, well, they just waited until the Roman soldiers left. And then they took the body of Jesus from the tomb, right? I mean, the Roman soldiers were not going to be guarding this tomb indefinitely. They were only going to be guarding it until the third day. The whole reason they were there is because the Jews remembered that Jesus prophesied that he was going to rise on the third day. And so when the Roman soldiers left, the disciples could have just come and taken the body on the fourth day or the fifth day or the sixth day to steal it away and then just make up this story that he rose from the dead. But if that were the case, then the Jews would have responded by saying, yeah, we acknowledge that the tomb was empty, but it wasn't empty on the third day. And Jesus said that it would be. Therefore, he's a liar. And because God cannot lie, we know that Jesus is not God. But the Jews didn't say that. History says they bribed the Roman soldiers. Something subtle yet very interesting takes place in Scripture. Have you noticed that all the references to the empty tomb are found in the Gospels? which were intended to give, really, truly, they were intended to give the Christian community the facts that it needed. Yet in public preaching to those who were not believers, as recorded for us in the book of Acts, there is an enormous emphasis on the fact of the resurrection. But there is not one single reference about the empty tomb why because there was no point in arguing about the empty tomb everyone at that time friend and opponent knew the empty tomb knew that the tomb was empty the only question worth debating about was what had its emptiness proved on that Sunday morning the tomb of Jesus Christ our Savior was empty do not be alarmed said the angel in the tomb You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Let's look at verses 8 through 9. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again, that's John, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Seeing the grave clothes and the burial shroud in the place where Jesus' body should have been, John drew the only conclusion that could be reached. Jesus had risen from the dead. And that is the hope of the Christian faith. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Our hope is not that we will become good people Our hope is not that we will become better members of society. Our hope is that by being found in Jesus Christ, we will share in his resurrection life. Remember how it began Adam and Eve were living in communion with God, and thus they were sharing in his eternal life. Adam and Eve were separated from God because they violated his commands. And thus, their source of life was separated from them and they died. Unrighteousness cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. Thus, we had to be separated from God. But God, being a loving God, did not abandon his creation. In the Old Testament times, God was providing a way to meet with his people through the tabernacle, the temple, And in order for His presence to dwell with the people of Israel, they were required to offer sacrifices on account of their unrighteousness. These sacrifices were meant to point to a greater sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice that was coming. The law of God was given to show us that we cannot live according to God's standards. I mean, who here can say, I have kept the entire law of God? No one. This is is what Paul talks about in Galatians. And just, again, another piece of church history, Galatians was foundational to the Reformation movement. Foundational. But the law of God was given to show us that we cannot live according to God's standards. It was pointing us to the realization that we need a Savior. God came down from heaven and became like us. And fulfilled the entire law of God on our behalf. He laid down His life on the cross on our behalf. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he rose victoriously from the grave so that we might have a way to God. And thus, by having a way to God,